Hello and welcome to this Glass Tire podcast. I'm Brandon Zeck. This is the second in a series of five podcasts that we recorded live at the 2019 Satellite Art Show at the Museum of Human Achievement in Austin, Texas. Satellite is an art fair dedicated to showing young dealers, artist-run spaces, and nonprofits, and this inaugural Austin event ran concurrently with South by Southwest. In the DIY spirit of Satellite, we set up shop in a van outside of the fair and used it as a sound booth to record these podcasts. This episode, recorded on the fair's second day, was guest-hosted by Austin-based artist Michael Anthony Garcia. Michael talked to two artists involved in the fair. The first, Nicole Goodwin, is a New York-based writer and performance artist, and the second, Elizabeth Axman, was showing her work with satellite exhibitor Arcade Project. But before we get to those interviews, I want to introduce Michael, or give him a chance to introduce himself. We're live uh, in the back of a van at the Satellite Art Show. Yes, down by the river. Down by the river. Uh, I'm Brandon Zeck, and I'm sitting with whoever you are. I am Michael Anthony Garcia. We kind of got the low voice creepy thing going on right now. (laughs) Well, we are sitting in the back of a van in a parking lot. But we do have a spotlight on us, so it's it's a little better, I guess. That's true, that is true. Uh, so thank you so much for guest hosting for us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for you. Do you want to, uh, how about you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm an Austin-based um, interdisciplinary artist. I focus a lot of my work on installation work, uh, sculpture, some photography, uh, but mostly in the past couple of years I've been doing a lot of performance-based work and um not something I intended to pursue, but it's just sort of pursued me, actually. It's kind of an interesting story. Uh, but I'm also an um, independent curator, and I try to do projects here from here here and there. Uh, you've you've had a quite a lot going on this year also. So we talked mm-hmm. to Julia Claire Wallace, who organized Experimental Action yes. on the podcast yesterday, uh-huh. uh, and you were in this year's ex- Experimental Action Festival in yes, Houston. Yes, was. Yeah, that was amazing experience, as always. Um, it's my... Th- third time working uh, with Julia and the Houston performance art crew. Uh, first, it was uh, with uh, Lone Star Explosion, and then the past two iterations of Experimental Action. And It's just an uh, amazing thing that they pull off there. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> it's, it's performance <laughs> artists thinking performance yeah. art should happen and making exactly, it happen. Exactly, yeah. But even just sheer force of will, I guess. I don't know. They, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I just I just love, you know, getting to participate in that. Just meeting all the different artists from all over the world who, you know, descend on in Houston and um, do their thing, and it's uh, inspiring. Yeah, this year in particular, I just felt like there was lots of work that makes you want to like up your game and mm-hmm. and experiment with new things in your work so yeah i really appreciate it for that yeah mm-hmm. and so we're in austin right now and you've been in austin for a long time yeah i just uh celebrated 18 years so that's, a, that's a long time yeah so i've lived here as long as i did in my birth city el paso so mm. yeah okay you, you know the question that's coming oh how is Austin changed 
over the past my 18 years. Goodness. That's a yeah. Well, yeah. I'll give you my uh, elevator. Answer. Do you have an elevator <laughs> pitch at this point? Have people asked you that enough? Um, no, not per se, but just um, in speaking about different projects that I have done that kind of s reference it. Um, you know, it's gotten way bigger really fast and in the ways that I don't think the city planned for in terms of uh, preserving uh, existing culture that was already here. And um, so, you know, you get a large influx of people who aren't from here, uh, hence the, the airplanes flying over South by Southwest with banners that say, don't move here, uh, which is kind of a common phrase, every South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And um, yeah, I mean, it's just the the diluting of the diversity of the city, and just feeling like there's fewer and fewer people who understand your where you're coming from. Um, I mean, as I'm an as an early Austinite, um, or well, just as as a mostly as a POC, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I'm I'm kind of shielded by that for the most part because I mean, most of my social life is spent in the art scene. And so that's a totally different experience. Like people are super welcoming and accepting, you know, again, it's not as diverse as maybe other cities, but y you're not made to feel different. Mm -hmm. uh, but the city as, as a whole, y you do kind of experience that a little more, I would say. Well, and that's something yeah. that the displacement has affected different communities because East Austin for mm -hmm. a long time has been an artistic part of Austin. But of course, before that it was communities of color. Yeah. Those communities were displaced before the mm -hmm. art started to become displaced. True. That is true. Yeah. Gentrifiers get gentrified. It's a cycle. So we'll see who's going to take over next, right? <laughs> the developers. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, it's nature. <laughs> Nature's going to take over. Oh, you're going like an apocalyptic <laughs> theme here. I see it. <laughs> When do you think the apocalypse <laughs> will take over Austin? Oh, man, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, there's there's art about it at the Satellite Art Fair, which is what yes. we're sitting uh, outside of right now. Qu quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those the snow globes in particular are pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they depict um, different cities and how they'll be affected by, you know, climate change. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty fun dark approach <laughs> but you gotta appreciate it because hey it's our future <laughs> so back to the real question when yes. will Austin be taken over by the apocalypse and by nature hmm that's I don't I'm not sure if, if, if we did know then it wouldn't be a proper apocalypse would it that's, that's a mouthful that's deep proper apocalypse proper apocalypse yes <laughs> that has a lot of that has a lot of pops that we're gonna have to edit out later. Excellent. <laughs> I'm glad I'm being difficult. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna let our conversation run too long because you have uh, two excellent other conversations that are gonna be a part of this podcast. But I want to give you a chance. We were talking earlier. You mentioned that you have a podcast of your own. I do. I do. Uh, it's called El Puente, and it's a podcast I do with my two best friends who are. Uh, African-American and it's an intersectional conversation uh, about race religion politics um, POC issues uh, LGBTQ issues and it's uh, really fun like we like I've said many times before we 
just conversations we always have with each other and we're super close and we can just kind of be ourselves and we said why not record it so that's what a podcast really should be yeah you shouldn't be performing on a podcast it's yourself oh definitely Yeah. yeah yeah and then you know who knows if people are actually giving a shit to listen to what we're saying but there has there has to be someone if you're going to say something someone no we, we do uh, yeah <laughs> for some reason we have uh, an inter- interestingly large following in japan that is interesting who knew <laughs> well <laughs> on that note i don't know what else to say that's actually that's that's a good place to leave it that sounds good to me Thank you for guest hosting again. And oh, thanks for the invitation. Yeah. We're excited to hear your uh, other interviews that you conducted at the Satellite Art Fair in the back of the Glass Tire podcast van. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, this is Michael Anthony Garcia, and I am here speaking with Nicole, Nicole Goodwin. Goodwin. From New York. Yes? Yes. Yes. All right. So, and I get to experience uh, your work a little bit earlier. You're here with the Satellite Fair. You did a performance for Performance Alive. Alive. Yeah. Performance Alive. (laughs) Performance Alive, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have you worked with them before? No, but we kind of swim in the same circles in New York City. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I was very much aware of them and kept them on my radar and was looking for the opportunity to work with them. So, Mm -hmm. I'm excited about today. So, so tell me uh, a little bit about your performance uh, for our listeners who who didn't get to experience it. Well, the performance is called Ain't I a Woman? Dust Chronicles 2. That is basically, Ain't I a Woman is an ongoing project that I've been doing for the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing different iterations uh, in New York City and in other spaces. I recently came back from Bolivia in January where I did Ain't I a Woman La Mujer. Um, and this Dust Chronicles 2 is the sequel to Dust Chronicles 1. I did that back in um, 2008, the summer of 2000, no, I'm sorry, the summer of 2018, Mm -hmm. um, I did Dust Chronicles 1, so this is the sequel, this is the second part of that iteration, so this is the only um, performance where there has a part one and a part two within the ongoing sea of A9 Woman, so Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about it. Great, great. So in, in this performance today... Um, you had how many boxes was that? I had uh, I bought 12 boxes of Aunt Jemima pancake mix mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I think I only used um, nine I was gonna say like it was like eight or nine yeah 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 and so through this performance you are opening up the boxes and yes pouring out the mix and disrobing uh, and then you, was that coconut oil you put on your body? Yes, I put coconut okay. oil on my body. Uh, that's what I thought it was. And then you um, laid in the pancake mix, and you were also interacting 
uh, somewhat with the, the projected video on the wall behind you. Yes. Yes. Would you explain? Dust Chronicles bit? one. Yeah. So oh, so that was the per- first. That performance. was the first performance. Oh, okay. So that's how they're connected. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So would you explain a little bit what happened in the video? Um, the video is me um, in the trash bag with the words "Ain't I a Woman" inscribed in different parts of my body. And it starts out with me in a trash bag, climbing, crawling up flights of stairs. Mm -hmm. And it ends with me partially nude, Mm -hmm. coming down the stairs backwards, Mm -hmm. going into trances, being um, disregarded by people in that space. And um, that's Dust Chronicles 1 in a nutshell. Yeah, okay, great. And so uh, how do you see the the two works connected besides one being part of the other in this instance well the two works are about um body presence Mm -hmm. but they take place in different spaces Mm -hmm. in my mind and dust chronicles one was me kind of exploring this idea of isolation and Mm non-acceptance so it was the threshold for that gave birth to Dust Chronicles 2, which is more about anti-blackness and my personal history of a mixed race heritage and genealogy. Mm -hmm. So that's how they're connected. Okay, great. And so, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions, but the the use of the Aunt Jemima pancake mix is obviously a race. It's definitely yes. race, but it's also personal. Uh-huh. Um, I grew sense. up on Aunt Jemima, oh, yeah. as many Americans did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I grew up on Aunt Jemima when she was still a mammy on the box. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, now she's like somebody's And auntie. now she's like an auntie. <laughs> yeah. She's a nurse. But at the same time, it's about respectability politics. Mm-hmm. That's what both Dust Chronicles 1 and 2 are connected through this idea of respectability mm-hmm. and I often used to wonder because um, Uncle Ben was also a house Negro yeah yeah. and um, if people don't know Uncle Ben I'm talking about the rice yes and he had a transformation so he underwent his own respectability politics mm-hmm. and I might do something with him in the future for uh, to make it a trilogy okay I'm I'm mulling that over in my head. Yeah. But um my history, my family history, my mom comes from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Which was once the largest slave state in the United States. And the history of rice and cotton there was prevalent. And growing up with images of the mammy and the uncle and then having them being transformed into auntie and uncle and gaining this respectability that nobody talks about mm-hmm. kind of silences one about the history of how slavery plays into mixed race relations for African Americans. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's prevalent. I have a biracial daughter her Mm -hmm. father was white Mm -hmm. but she came out very Mm light-skinned and um she passes for white intrinsically but 
me passing quote unquote for black or just black Mm -hmm. is something that I've struggled with for years because my blackness has always been in question Mm. when it's come to being black enough that's always been something that people have questioned within Mm. my own community yeah I mean I so I, I'm uh, Latinx, and so I, I understand where you're coming from because I I get that as well. Yeah. As far as from, is it both you, our you communities? Get it, you get it from both sides. Like, so yeah. You're, you're, you're either not white enough for the white community, or you're not Latinx enough or African American enough. From Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time for me to explore these ideas and this consciousness on the multitude of in, intersectionality in mm-hmm. my work. Yeah. So it plays on race, but it plays on the personal and political aspects of race Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for me. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, having a body of color, uh, especially an exposed one like that, has so (laughs) much political power behind it. This is the first time I was actually nude and ain't I a woman. Everyone thinks I'm nude. Uh And I'm usually partially nude. This is the first time I actually went completely nude yeah. for an A9 woman performance. Did, did that change something for you in the work? Um, As a performer, I should say. Yes, it did. It, 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 changed, it changed the whole aspect of A9 woman. Because mm-hmm. it went from body, body politics to anti-blackness. Mm. And that's a whole nother can of worms that I didn't even know existed in me. Yeah. Wow. So it ha- it helped me dig deeper. But it's also fun. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun rolling around nude. <laughs> and pancake mix. It's hilariously fun. I felt like I was in the sandbox like yeah. a kid. I loved it. Yeah. Were you able to like taste it in the air as you rolled around in it? Oh or? yeah. 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 I, I I mean, I wasn't that far from where you were performing, but I, I was expecting to experience that myself as a as a viewer. But I, I didn't, and I was like, I was waiting for that pancake taste. <laughs> <laughs> you were hungry for some pancakes. I guess I'm hungry, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so yeah. So the performance also had s- s- different stages to it. Yes. Um, would you kind of run down for you what those stages were? Um, I don't remember all the stages. Okay. I went into a, so I go into a sort of mm. trance with Ain't I a Woman. Mm-hmm. The the physicality of it puts me in a trance. Oh, so okay. I know I remember I was rolling around in the pancake mix, mm-hmm. and then I stood up and walked yes. into the middle of the gallery, mm-hmm. all the way to the back of the gallery. Yes. And interacted with different people within the gallery space. Mm-hmm. I can't recall what I said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you actually said, said lots of things throughout the whole piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I was really intrigued by the that second phase where you went into where the other booths are in, in the satellite art fair. Mm-hmm. Um, in a space that was not necessarily expecting a performance to happen, mm-hmm. much less uh, a naked African-American woman to be performing in that space and so um you know of course I'm, I'm watching what you're doing but then I'm also kind of taking in reactions for everybody as well so I enjoy I that yeah it's I enjoy that yeah. that comes from the public inter- interventions I've done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I try to spark a different type of mood with my body presence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And even just people that were coming in to see the, the performance in the pancake mix, um, because this is happening during South by Southwest. Yes. And so you, you're not only getting people who are coming to an art fair who expect to see art and, you know, in art you, you see the, the female form in, yes. in many different forms. Um, yes. But seeing people and you can automatically clock who is not an art goer normally and them first encountering your body in the work. Yes. So that, that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah. I enjoy getting past the shock and awe mm-hmm. because the work speaks for itself. Definitely. It has mm-hmm. a powerful message, mm-hmm. but also there is a levity to it. There's a release, a catharsis mm-hmm. that I feel that I want others to feel as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to feel betrayed by the work when when I say things like, am I white enough for you? Mm-hmm. I want them to understand that this is coming from a place of true knowledge and self-awareness, but also um, magical cosmic inference. Mm-hmm. So everything I say isn't necessarily coming from the conscious mind of Nicole Goodwin. Mm-hmm. It's coming from other places within myself. Mm-hmm. And I allow those spaces to take hold and to motivate me and to propel me in different spaces even within the gallery yes so and this is a question i have because i've i've been exploring this in my own work as well do you go in with certain ideas in mind that you're trying to or images that you're trying to convey through the performance or do you just go in and just are you in the moment and you just let whatever happens happens and a little bit of both. Okay. A yeah, little bit like of both. Well. Yeah. I try to create spaces where I can have some idea in the beginning, the skeleton of the performance, but as it fleshes itself out, that's when the magic happens. Mm-hmm. So I don't try to plan every little thing about a performance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Just, I do that as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have to let. You know the being in the moment and the, the yeah. event just you have to let the magic happen. And, and sometimes the craziest things that just happen are, are really interesting. So I know at one point there was a, a dog that came in. <laughs> did, 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 do you remember that? Yes, yes, <laughs> the, I do. This dog just came up and was like, "Oh, what is this? How did I react? <laughs> I don't, I don't remember reacting to the dog." Um, I mean, you like acknowledged its presence, but you you didn't. You know, there's that old saying of like. Well, in, in theater and stuff like you don't you don't uh, work with children or dogs yeah because they steal focus yeah but like yeah you, you kind of just diffused it with a glance and then went back to doing your thing and so that, that, was, really, <laughs> that was really cool <laughs> I wasn't angry I know that I, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. are like oh this is something still your thunder when you perform yeah no, no, no. I don't necessarily think that I think um, one thing I've learned through meditation is that you have to incorporate the unexpected Mm -hmm. into your life because I live in New York City and that is quintessentially Mm -hmm. capital of uh, unexpected things happening yes (laughs) and you can you can be Sisyphus and try and push that boulder Mm -hmm. up a hill Mm -hmm. if you want to yeah 
And but, be frustrated all the time. And be frustrated <laughs> all the time. Or you can just incorporate, like when the music was playing, I tried very much to incorporate that into the performance as well. Yeah. I remember one of my early performances, and I want to say this was in Houston, and I'm doing my thing, and some drunk guy just gets up and starts mimicking me and like trying to interact with me and, and, the, and the props I was using. And I remember at that stage just being like, how dare you? But now, now I, you know, as, as I've evolved as an artist, like I, I, you know, I would obviously react in a different way. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I, I didn't acknowledge him or anything. I was just trying to like, in the beginning, it, it always, it, in the <laughs> beginning, it, it's always a different, like when I first started this two years ago, uh-huh. Um, people's reactions used to bother me completely, mm-hmm. like utterly 100%. Yeah. Make me feel down. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Why am I exposing my body in this way? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And their questions were my questions. Mm-hmm. But as I relied on the work and the ritual of the work and the ritual of the preparation and the creation behind it, I've, I've discovered so much about myself. Mm-hmm. And other people. Yeah. And other people. Yeah. So is your performance work part of a, uh, a larger practice, or are you all performance all the time? Um, it's a part of a large... Well, I, I, start out, I start out as a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm always a writer. Mm-hmm. So Ain't I a Woman is a commitment that I made to myself mm-hmm. To do, I said I was going to do three years and then just see where it goes after that. Yeah. So this is year two of that three-year tour uh-huh. and a performance art. And to say, where is it going to go from here for me? And I'm like, I'm thinking of new ideas. Okay. But I don't think I'm going to hang up. I might. Ex- I I I gave myself a chance to extend it for another two years after the three. So mm-hmm. it'll be five year, a five-year performance. All right. And then do you have anything planned out farther than that? or No, not no. really. No? Okay. Not really. Not yet. Just being in the moment. Just yeah. being in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Just being in the moment. Excellent. But I also do poetry, and um, I have an album coming out of my poetry that is based on Ain't I a Woman. Mm-hmm. And it's just called Ain't I a Woman Poems. Oh, okay. And um, it's, it's coming out soon. Hopefully in June it'll be done. So I hope I'll just get that in there and yeah, yeah. Great. Well, look forward to seeing what else you come out with, and I really enjoyed experiencing your work in person. Thank you so much. Thank you for having yeah, me. Appreciate it, Nicole. Before we jump into Michael's second interview, I want to give a quick warning that this next conversation explicitly talks about racial and sexual violence throughout. If that's not the kind of thing you're comfortable hearing, you might want to skip this part. Please tell us who you are. I am Elizabeth Axman. I am an artist based in Brooklyn, New York, but I am from California. got to rep my set. Um, and I am here with my work. Um, the show is called Dark Meat, and 
Yeah, and we are here at this festival called Satellite Art, and it's half carny, half art, and (laughs) 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 we are here talking. So, hello, everyone. Hello, welcome. Welcome to Austin. Thank you. Thank you. This is my very first time in Austin. All right. Well, you're not getting a true picture of Austin because it's not normally this crazy. Yeah, yeah. During during South by Southwest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got on, I saw the plane and it was very, it was hipstered the fuck out. (laughs) People were like, I can't check this. It's my camera equipment. Don't touch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as does happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They were very, se- <laughs> very, very sensitive about their baggage. Mm. Don't, I can't check it. Right, right. Yeah. Oh. But you're here. Yeah. You made it. I made it. I made it. Excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. So how, how's the uh, satellite art fair treated you so far? It's treated me very well. Yeah. Look, the show got up through hell or high water. Uh-huh. It is up. Yeah. It is up. So everything's mm-hmm. set. Good to go. We're, uh-huh. we're rocking along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And have you had a chance to experience a lot of the other uh, people who are here showing their work, or have you just been trapped in your your booth? I've been pretty trapped in my booth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I've I've seen the other I've seen the other exhibitions, but I've been pretty trapped in my booth as I think the fairs go. But um, of yeah, I've been yeah. pretty set in my booth. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about dark meat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, describe the the, the work. T- so um, the <laughs> dark me is based off of my guys. So m- uh, most of my work is set around three men, um, but one is not uh, represented this time. But mm-hmm. I make work around Jeffrey Dahmer, um, O.J. Simpson, and Bill Cosby. But mm-hmm. this particular um, set of work is based around O.J. Simpson and Jeffrey Dahmer, and dark meat represents the consumed and the consumer and so um Jeffrey Dahmer is the consumer and OJ Simpson yes (laughs) yes literally and um OJ Simpson would be the consumed so the show is based around these ideas of desire and repulsion um men who want to be praised by whiteness and um Jeffrey Dahmer is a man who, you know, who spent his life um, killing so many black men while while trying to deny his crimes were based around race. And so much of his crimes were simply mm. based around race. Of course, yeah. And so many um, psychologists and 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 cops you know simply let him get away with saying that the that his crimes were not based around race because you know they were white males as as well so i I love that there's this kind of initial trick that the the work does when you learn who it's about Mm -hmm. initially and your mind automatically goes to oh killers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then there's this nice subtext to where you, you are again exploring like this whole idea of consumer consumed mm-hmm. and then the you know with with blackness at its core mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so wh- wh- where does that come from as far as your work goes well it comes from I guess my my idea of where that comes from is most likely that I'm black and mm-hmm. I, I, those ideas of ideas of race and blackness have always been of interest to me and OJ 
I find the case of OJ just so fascinating because he represents race in America as a whole and how we all became so consumed with that case Mm -hmm. and how we all became so fascinated with the case. No, no, I know what you mean. I mean, that was like a very pivotal point, I think, in our country as far as dealing with race. Yeah. Um, I mean, people were starkly on either side of and people were glued to their televisions. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah, I think it's fascinating, you know, territory to explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your work. Um, and then, so like, what was it that about Jeffrey Dahmer? That what, like, why didn't he enter the picture for you as far as creating work? I think what fascinates me mostly about Jeffrey Dahmer is, I think people have these ideas about people who. I think date or have sex outside of their race mm. and that that automatically makes them not a racist and <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer was a very uh, he was a known racist especially when he got drunk he would I think when he was in the army he would get really drunk and it was one of the reasons why he got kicked out of the army um, he would get wasted and he would act a complete donkey and so he would get very very Blur, blur, belligerent, and he would get very drunk, and it was known that he, he would call other um, soldiers in the military like racist epithets, like the N word, and all of this stuff. And but then he would hit on the other black soldiers, and it's like known that he possibly, allegedly, like raped another soldier in the military. Yeah, so he. So he says all these horrible things about black men while going into these baths and raping these black men. Mm. And then he would describe the, the men he found most attractive. And then these men that in the description, they're these black men. So I always get most annoyed when people say, you know, you can't be racist and be attracted to a different race. And I'm like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like slavery, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, Jeffrey Dahmer mm-hmm. just stands in for this symbol of he created all these he he committed all these horrible crimes while being attracted to these black men mm-hmm. and did all these horrible things to their bodies for his own sexual gratification. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of the stand in figure for this idea that you can't be racist and attracted to different people. So this, um, this concept of desire and repulsion. So, definitely. so he yeah. is my stand in guy for these people. Yeah. He's just on this e- completely extreme level of it. Mm, excellent. Excellent. Um, so in the press release for mm-hmm. the work, uh, you used the term white famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you explain what that is a little bit, just or at least your your idea of what that is? So OJ is the king of white famous, where mm-hmm. he was the first black athlete um, to ever get like a um, like a car commercial. Mm-hmm. So he was being telecast into white people's homes to sell products that no no black athlete or black celebrity ever got. So. OJ OJ was huge he was huge Mm -hmm. he was getting Hertz commercials black people white people felt like OJ was safe they thought he was handsome they were like OJ is our guy he Mm -hmm. can come into our homes he is he is just one of us we will allow him in so OJ just surpassed 
this place of he's not one of them. We're yeah. going to allow him into our space. Mm-hmm. And so OJ just kind of got drunk off of that yeah. kind of white acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so OJ thought he had kind of transcended um, blackness and got all of this white acceptance. So mm-hmm. he got white famous. Yeah. What, what do you think it was that made him, quote-unquote, safe? Oh, he he didn't do any of the 60s or 70s. Like, any time people asked him to join any kind of civil rights movements, he wouldn't be a part of it. He would mm. tell them, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of them. I'm not a part of that. He, he, he let all white America know he was a safe black man. He was not going to do anything to make them feel uncomfortable with him. Yeah. He was safe. Yeah. They could trust OJ yes. until <laughs> they <laughs> could not trust OJ. Yes. And OJ quickly learned mm-hmm. that he was never, ever a part of their club. Yeah. Which is, you know, yeah. a story that repeats itself yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throughout it history. Al- yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will always find out you were never in the club. No, no, no. <laughs> um, so you, you also have uh, a quote from... Uh, a Jay-Z song mm-hmm. in the press release uh, from the story of OJ. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, which in itself is an, a great song, an amazing video. Yeah, and that was coming yeah. out right when I had like my first solo show about OJ. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I'm so tapped in. I'm so <laughs> tapped in. <laughs> nice. So um, th- so t- tell us about this quote that you that you have in the in the press release. Oh, the, um, yeah. shall I read it? Sure. Okay, So it says, O.J. Simpson is not the first black person to believe he has successfully transcended race, and he will not be the last. But in 1994, he had a very important phone call ring in his ear. It is a very well-known saying in the black community known as the nigga wake-up call. For those of you that don't know what the NWUC is, it's when a black person forgets their blackness in any given situation and then is reminded rather brutally by an unprecedented act of racism. Many black people have answered the call begrudgingly, but none rang more thunderously or more publicly than O.J. Simpson's did. That's some powerful stuff. It is. He really got that call. He sure did. (laughs) (laughs) And he will not be the last. No, he will not. (laughs) Yeah, and why do you think that, I mean, that still is a thing? Like we're, you know, People think that they can get away with it and transcend their I think race because or color. validation feels mm-hmm. good. Yeah. yeah like Candace, who is Candace? Um, the one that Kanye was hanging out with for a quick little bit. Candace, oh, oh what is um, her name? Mm. And, and see, this proves the point. We already forgot. Yeah, her name. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Candace, whoever is on there, Republican, and she's got really bad, shitty hair. Uh, Candace, yeah. something. Well, that narrows it down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's with the Republican Party, but she used to talk shit about Trump. But now mm. that she's gotten all this mm-hmm. like white validation, yeah. validation feels good. Yeah. And then you, I mean, it's like so rarely are like black people banging with Republicans, and then. Mm-hmm. Once a black person starts dick riding with mm-hmm. Republicans and then they're like getting tons of validation from like white people, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, and then they can get a lot of money from it, too. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah, These yeah. white people are going to give me money for acting like a coon. They're mm-hmm. like, shit. Yeah. 
okay, yeah. a paycheck, and I get a bunch of like praise and applause. Uh-huh. I'll act like a donkey, <laughs> but then, and then you, you know, get escorted out of the White House. Exactly. Then Omarosa. the nigga wake up calls coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's mm-hmm. bring, bring, bring. It's yeah. coming. Mm-hmm. The nigga wake up call comes for them all. It will mm-hmm. come, and mm-hmm. it is so painful because then you know what's not coming at the end of that nigga wake up call. Mm-hmm. Black people, we are not going to be there for you. Oh, no. Nope. No. Should, should not be. No. <laughs> should not be there. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's like ultimate betrayal. Yes. Mm. No. We don't want you no more. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. You're no we do not like you no more. Yeah. When you act like that. Yeah. Mm mm. Mm mm. That's true. Mm. Yes. Yeah. It it does seem in in a way that not that he's escaped it. But Kanye has not received the full brunt of that yet. Mm. Would, you, would you agree? I feel like Kanye, he has such a huge fuckboy following. Mm-hmm. He still has his fuckboys, there's yeah. no doubt. Yeah. Like, the fuckboy following is very strong with mm. him. But he definitely has lost a huge oh, amount of support. Definitely, yeah. Uh, there are people who are never going to let the slavery as a choice thing go. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to slide. But um, I don't rock with him, and I know tons of people who oh, will never. No, no. no. Yeah. The slavery is a choice thing. The the rocking yeah. with 45 thing. The wearing the Confederate flag thing. Mm-hmm. The just, yeah. he's, he's just gone off of his rocker. Mm-hmm. He really, he is sliding down the OJ trail, and it is not cute. And that's why he gets used so much in my work. Like, mm-hmm, his need mm-hmm. for white validation is just... Yeah, I think, like, there's nobody like that, really. No, that yeah. isn't, like, um, that isn't had that, 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 that rock star sensibility. Because he's not, like, a, he's not a politician. He's mm-hmm. not, like, a dork. He, mm-hmm. He's a rock star. He's mm-hmm. OJ. He's got the sexy. He's got all of that. He gives yep. us, like, this music. And he's saying the wildest, craziest stuff out of mm-hmm. his mouth. And yeah. it's all for, like, white mm-hmm. validation. Mm-hmm. And it's really gross and sad. It is. It's yeah. very, very sad. Um, I, I have my own uh, podcast I do with, okay. with my two best friends who are African-American. So it's yeah. an intersectional conversation that yeah, we do. Yeah. And, you know, we covered some of the initial mm-hmm. Kanye-isms. Yes. And, but it got to the point where I was like, no, I don't want to give this person yeah. any more airtime yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, so i forbade it i was like guys i hope you're okay with this but i don't want to talk about him anymore yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely he, understandable you know absolutely i mean because we were approaching it from like mental health perspective like you know maybe he yeah. has something wrong with him and he needs help but then if after a while it's like no you have all the money in the world and all yeah but then the we have to think about the people you. who have mental health issues Ex- and do not exactly say exactly these wild outlandish thing it's like an insult to people with mental exactly. health problems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's an absolute insult yeah so yeah he's verboten <laughs> yeah <laughs> <our> exactly <laughs> smart choice um so i want to uh speak about some of the imagery that you have in the okay. work um that i just find fascinating so like the uh the balloon animals yes made out of black dick yeah <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah um can you go into that a little yeah. bit? So those are called like blue-eyed devil parlor tricks and colons. So say I made um, a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So those would be like Jeffrey Dahmer's like downtown downtime activities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, Jeffrey Dahmer did unspeakable things with black men's bodies mm-hmm. um, for his own sexual gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, he cut their heads off. He cut their hands off. Jeffrey Dahmer wanted to make this huge altar out of these men's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, as this look what I did yeah. with these men's bodies like look look at this art I made out of these men's bodies mm-hmm. I mean I could just go in disgusting depth yes. of what he did with their bodies sexually yeah. Yeah. Um, and he did it all out of his desires his sexual desires of what turned him on mm-hmm. and it was all about his needs he didn't care about that these men had souls, they had lives, they had families. Yeah. It was only about this man's needs. Mm-hmm. And he took their lives. And so I was like, what what kind of symbol do I make of what Jeffrey Dahmer th- thinks of these men's lives? And I was like, Jeffrey Dahmer is just sitting around making balloon animals out of black men's penises and although it has this silliness or playfulness it's really this dark humor oh definitely yeah this dark humor of what jeffrey dahmer thinks of these men's lives it's nothing it meant nothing to him to take their lives and even when you watch like old interviews with uh jeffrey dahmer it's just this real deadpan soulless he didn't care yeah. about anything he did. It really was only about his gratification. So mm-hmm. the balloon animals are um, just representative about his selfishness, yeah. his coldness, mm-hmm. and it's that like a bastardization of the body. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah, and I, I think it really speaks also to that fine line. Uh, like you were saying, like between like revulsion and attraction, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and connecting it to like homophobia, like so when you find out like the most homophobic politicians are the yeah. ones that are doing shit in the bathroom stalls. Yeah, and absolutely. <laughs> you know? And like this concept of like, who's, who's, who's the civilized one? Who's mm-hmm. the savage and who's the civilized one? Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey Dahmer is, he's the savage. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean his ha- I mean his house was like of horrors. Like, it, it, if you ever, if whoever's listening, if you ever want to Google Jeffrey Dahmer's altar, <sighs> go ahead and do it and have some nightmares tonight. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I could do. <laughs> yeah, Body like when I really, really started getting into my Jeffrey Dahmer research, I usually like sleep like a corpse. Like the bed is like almost made. It is not really hard for me to make my bed in the yes. morning. When I really started like reading all the books, like because I've read almost every Jeffrey Dahmer like book out there, mm. it would look like I had wrestled a ghost that night because wow. the information. Oh yeah, I mean you c- it can't not affect you. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. really like I had wrestled a ghost like yeah. the night because the, the the blankets were a mess because uh-huh. it, it really the stuff that goes on in your subconscious when you sleep after all of the reading, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was just a mess in my mind. Oof. 
I'm glad you did the research for us. Yeah. I'm like, he would stab a hole in these men and then like, fuck it. I have to tell you guys one bit of information. Oh, okay. (laughs) Let me brace myself. Yeah. (laughs) You guys have to know something too, okay? Okay. Next question. (laughs) Well, I I think it's uh, phenomenal that you'd be able to turn something so dark and heinous into these beautiful images um you know again like you you do have like that twisted kind of dark humor to it Mm -hmm. but it still has you know this beauty to um obviously in in the technique and then the way you've twisted the subject matter Mm -hmm. i I think it's very commendable so yeah i mean there's a part of me that very much wants to i mean even though i do use dark and humor is very much the center and the crux of my work but it's very important to me to honor um the men and the men who lost their lives in the work and the women who tried to save some of these men's lives because Mm. every black voice uh, that was a part of um this story and the asian men and the latino men a part of this story and even the white men who lost their lives in these stories nobody were listening and I think so much of that was because it was about queerness and so much of it was yeah. about that that the the victimizer was a blonde haired blue eyed victimizer yeah, yeah exactly well, yeah talk about blue eyed devil Jeez. yes <laughs> exactly that's why it's, that's in my yes. title he was a blue eyed <laughs> devil that man one of many yes <laughs> So many out there, so many out there to choose from. Yes. Um, well, was there, is there anything else you want to discuss with regards to the work or, or no, the fair itself? Yeah, no, just come on down, see yeah, the work, come through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with us yes, today. And thank you. I appreciate um, seeing work uh, that not only deals with uh, issues of, of, you know, POC communities, but. Mm-hmm having a more POC come into the city because yes. as many, many people may know, like Austin is quite gentrified and like you're mentioning the, the hipster vibe is very much kind of strangling and pushing POCs out. Oh no. So I'm very happy to have <laughs> more yes, POCs here yes. in town. So yeah. and, and especially someone who's doing such amazing work. So. Thank you. I'm happy to black it up. Heck yeah. Get these whites <laughs> out of here. <laughs> Chill out white people. <laughs> Calm your tits. <laughs> we, we've had enough of you. <laughs> We're tired of you. <laughs> that's a good place to end. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for having Thank you, me. <laughs>concludes day two of the satellite art show in austin texas there are four other podcasts we've recorded at the fair so keep a lookout for those on your feed i want to again thank today's guest host michael anthony garcia along with all of our guests thanks for listening and go see some art